You're listening to the Speechy Side Up podcast, episode number 14. Today we are joined by the award-winning children's book author, Julia Cook. Julia has written over 76 books and is an inspirational speaker who travels all over the world. In this episode, we discuss Julia's new book, her favorite book that she has ever written, her advice for parents and aspiring authors, and even how her dogs are helping her to teach important concepts to children. You're listening to the Speechy Side Up podcast with Kim and Vanita. Just two SLPs in a pod who love their field and supporting fellow SLP bosses. This podcast will cover the flip side of traditional speech and language therapy so you get inspired and learn from experts in the field. Here are your hosts. When they are not working together on their social book series, Lou Knows What to Do, Vanita can be found traveling or drinking matcha lattes. Kim can be found running marathons or fueling her coffee addiction to function as a mom to a preschooler and an infant. Together, they are serving up some informative and fun topics in Speechy Side Up. Hey everybody, Kim and Vanita here. Welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment. You can also follow us on Instagram at Speechy Side Up, S-P-E-E-C-H-I-E-S-I-D-E-U-P. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today, we have a very special guest. She is an award-winning author and parenting expert, as well as a former teacher and counselor. We are absolutely thrilled to welcome Julia Cook to the show. Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You've written so many incredible books, over 76 to be exact, but that is not all you are known for. You are also an inspirational speaker who travels all over the country. We cannot wait to pick your brain today. So before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what your journey has been, and what you do today? Well, I started out teaching skiing and going to college for many years, and my dad's like, pick a degree, and he said, what do you want to be? And I said, what do you love to do? And I said, I like teaching skiing. He says, and teach school. So I started out as a middle school math teacher and um, worked with really tough kids who um, at-risk kids were my favorite kids to work with. And I thought, I'll get a degree in counseling because then I can be a better teacher. And we moved to a town where they didn't have a counselor and asked me to transition into that role as an elementary counselor. So I did that. And during that process, I was trying to, I had a really good in grad school teacher who told me, if you want to get into a kid's head, you read him a story. And uh, then they'll remember you. And so then I looked for a book and she taught me like me being the recess queen and enemy pie and all those fun little books and rainbow fish and using those for bibliotherapy with kids. And so I looked for a book on tattling and I could not find one that really stressed the difference between tattling and telling and bullying. And so I wrote a story just for the kids in my building. And one of the teachers came in one day and said, you should try to do something with this. So I, on a whim, grabbed a book, called the publisher. They said, send it in. I sent it in. And that was 13 years ago. So now there are over 2 million Julia cookbooks out there in nine languages. And there's 86 titles. So it's kind of crazy. And so now I do school visits all over the world. And I um, do counseling conferences and educational conferences and speech path conferences, keynoting, and do a lot of parent nights and keep writing. That's what I do. So crazy weird. 
but it's sure fun. That's amazing. What a, what a fantastic journey. Oh, wow. So um, we're both huge fans and you just wrote an amazing book called Be Where Your Feet Are. And it addresses the topic of mindfulness, um, which I love, 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 because I'm so into the mindfulness movement that's going on today. I really am. And I feel like as a, as a parent in the digital age, it's so hard to so easily be distracted, you know? Um, so what are, what do you think are your tips for parents and kids just starting to kind of explore mindfulness? Well, mindfulness is, you know, there's so much going on in our world and, and for so long we have been groomed to think that if we're multitasking, we're really doing a great job and, and, and the research proves that that's just the opposite. Although our mind lets us think, wow, I'm getting all this stuff done in a short amount of time. We don't do anything really well. So you can't do the once and done. Once you're done with it, it's done the best you can be. So uh, the research and brain research is showing us that humans do better when they do one thing at a time and then they switch gears and do another thing at a time. And, you know, like talking and driving are not compatible with things, you know, because you need your full attention when you drive so you don't run over people and animals and all those things. So we have to be careful. And so, I mean, it's just, it's, and so when we're starting to talk about, our kids are missing out. I mean, they're missing out on everything because they're totally nailed to their screen. They're, you know, and they miss out on birds and air and all kinds of fun things and, and things they need to be aware of. And it's really difficult for them to to switch gears and do one thing at a time. You think, well, I'm playing a video game. It's the only thing I'm doing. And that's true. But you're missing out. You know, you, you want to be mindful of everything and everyone. The number one thing that's going to get our kids a job and help them become successful is the ability to be a team player. And if they can only talk through their screen and only relate through their screen for people, they're going to struggle. And you don't want your kids to live in your basement So when they're 30. So you want them to get all those good skills so that they can be successful. <laughs> oh my gosh, definitely. I definitely agree with that. And this little book is like, keep your brain and your feet a team. You know, if you're in school, then your your brain needs to be in school, not playing a video game in your head. You know, if you're driving, then you, if your feet are driving, then your brain needs to be driving. And it, it works for all ages, you know, do do one thing at a time and do it well. And people start realizing how effective they can be and how good they can be when they actually do that. And it just, it feeds itself. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We actually, we, we've got to look at the book. We absolutely love it. We did a review on it as well. And the phrase, you know, keeping your feet and your brain a team. I actually have been saying that ever since I reviewed the book (laughs) to myself, because I'm really bad about that. Like I, I have my day job and then we do our fun podcast thing on the side, but I often find myself during the day, like during my day job, thinking about like my outside duties and and I'm like, where are your feet? Okay, that's what your brain should be thinking about. So it works for adults too. Well, and the thing is with kids' books, I'll tell you right now, if if you write a good children's book, it applies to everyone on the planet because everybody either is a kid or they have been one. You know, so if if you write grown-up books, you kind of cut out half your market. But a good kids' book works for everyone. It's just it's a fun thing. I love that advice. I love all of it. The whole premise is we want our kids to be able to have the tools that they need to solve their own problems. We don't want to be the people that swoop in and solve kids' problems for them. 
So if you load a story up with problem-solving strategies and tools and you read the story to the kid, then they let you into their head and then the tools fill off into their head. You pull the book out of their brain and the tools are in there. So they now have a pattern or a to follow to solve their own problems. So it's a really strategic way of and then they can also model positive parenting strategies, positive teaching strategies, because kids don't come with instructions and they're getting weirder all the time. We got to get weird with them or we lose them. So. <laughs> I love it. That was a great, great. It's analogy. so true. Um, and I feel like, oh my God, if I had a nickel for every time I said kids don't come with instructions and then sometimes <laughs> things just catch yeah. me off guard uh, so much. But I, I love like having a book like Be Where Your Feet Are, it kind of gives me a go-to phrase that I can use with my own son, you know, to, when I see that he's getting distracted. So um, I feel like some of the things we're talking about, I'm worried about for the future. He's currently, he's going to be four and I haven't yet introduced any sort of iPhone or iPad or any kind of that sort of play. So I feel like right now we're very much in in the phase of, you know, like we go outside and sometimes we just jump in puddles or we just play and get a little dirty and that's great but you know as he, he's going to be transitioning to it's fantastic you know i mean uh, um my daughter-in-law was stopped in the grocery store the other day because she was singing the alphabet with her two-year-old and a lady said it's so nice to see a parent interacting with their child instead of the child interacting with the screen oh my god exactly you, you, you are so spot on doing what you're doing and teaching those human relationships and the kid's going to be so much farther ahead because they'll pick up on the electronics in due time, but they'll also have experienced highs and fun times and great relationship experiences without digital. And that's huge. So just keep it up. <laughs> I am. I think I'm more worried about like when the, when the door finally opens and you know, he does that like well, moderate. There's a balance. You know? Yeah. yeah there, there's a balance. And that's the problem is that our, we're so exhausted and our kids are tired and you know, we pick our kids up and we're dead and we have all this stuff to, you know, to do and, and kids are quiet when they're on their devices and they're not in our our hair and they're, you know, and we're thinking, wow, this is so and less energy for us. And, you know, but it's all about a balance. And I never, I always ask parents, please don't make the device a commodity. If you clean your room, then you get to play your video game for an hour. Well, guess what? You just made that as valuable as a paycheck. Oh, wow. You know, you could say, if you clean your room, if you clean your room, you're going to have, you, you're going to get an hour of free time. Maybe the child wants to use their hour of free time to play their video game, but you are not putting it as a commodity. And that is huge. That's a great point. So anyway, and, and, you know, if, if you don't want your child to be hooked to devices then you know, you have to have times where you go device free as well, you know, you can't always be on your phone or this is a sad one. I just read a study that 74% of our kids feel undervalued by their parents. Because when they go to talk to their parents, ask them a question, interact with them, they won't let go of their screen or their device and give their child their full attention. Then the kid walks away. Nothing is more important than that kid in front of you. You know, like back in the old days when you were waiting on a customer in the store and the phone rang, you let the phone ring and you worked with the person in front of you. When your child comes to you and wants to talk about something, Nothing on that phone, very rarely is the thing on that phone more important than your child at that time. So you need to be strategic about when you make those calls, when that doesn't interfere with your kid time. 
because you don't want your child to feel like they don't matter as much as your telephone does. (laughs) I agree. I agree very much. I actually saw that same study. And um, even though I I really definitely have a lot of time where I am plugged because I don't want my my kiddos. I have also a six month old and I don't want them to see me on the screen. And I noticed their little eyes are drawn to the screen. After I read that study, I made an even more conscious effort to like have at least one or two hours in the morning and one or two hours of the evening where I put the phone in a separate room. They don't even see it at all so that they know that I'm completely not distracted because it's really easy to be like, oh, let me just go pay that bill online. Let me just go you know, right, right. Oh, my kid's playing for a minute. Let's do this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and it's important that you they see you on your phone, and when they do need you, you put it down. I mean, they, it's important that they see that, too. I mean, you know, because that's a part of our, our society. So you don't want to, you know, be so tech-free that they don't have a normal. But the whole part is it is this huge balance. I mean, there's some kids that, you know, they're in danger if they play outside for safety reasons. Well, I would rather have my child playing a video game than be in danger physically. So everybody's different. Everybody has a different situation. But, you know, if you can balance your personal time, you're in, you know, be where your feet are, be there for your child, be present. That's huge. That's just huge. Yeah, so if they say, oh, my cell phone's ringing, I'm going to turn it on silent so I can pay attention to you. What does that say versus just doing it, actually telling your child you're doing it? Wow. Teaching moment, you know? Yeah, great idea. Yeah. I love all the ideas I'm getting from this. <laughs> I love, too, that you, like, talk about that balance, that it's not a pendulum. It doesn't go just one way or the other, but there's special circumstances to consider. So that's great that you touched on that. I wanted to move to another topic, which is that you've written over 76 books. That's incredible. Is that true? And do you have a favorite? There are 87 titles right now. and There's five coming. Um, I have two publishers and they both kind of have the same rocket engine propelling the same purpose. And that's helping kids uh, solve problems. I have National Center for Youth Issues and Boys Town Press. And they're all about social skills for kids. They're both nonprofits. And so they work very nicely side by side. It's kind of rare to have two working publishers. They either have one or the other. But these guys are extremely unique and support me greatly. Um, I do have a favorite. The favorite is called Judgmental Flower. And it's about accepting differences and um, tolerance, building tolerance, building appreciation for differences. and realizing that there's differences in all of us on the inside and the out and learning to be more flower respectful of what the world should be about. So that just, it's metaphorical for all differences and accepting people for who they are. And it's kind of a big lesson in 32 pages, but I, it's my, it's my heart on paper. So, yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I love that. Um, I feel like I haven't actually checked out that title. So I really need to do that. I really need to send you one then. (laughs) I will do that. (laughs) Um, I have to rewind actually, because I don't know if you realize, so Vanina and I also are, we're SLPs and writers and we actually work with Boys Town as well. Um, And so I agree with you. They're completely fantastic. I was going to ask you about that. What what has your experience been like working with two different publishers? We've worked with the people at Boys Town and they are fantastic. Uh, we have a social book series called Lou Knows What to Do, and three titles are out. Yeah, that's right. I've seen, um, you know, it's, I actually went to Boys Town for an endorsement and then on, on a book for NCYI, and then they said, do you write books 
other for other publishers. And so, uh, I, I the whole point is when you sell a book and the proceeds to the book go to help kids who are at risk, or you know that just or you know teachers who are dealing with kids in you know in certain circumstances, it's a nice breath of fresh air because a nonprofit publisher offers the fact that there's not someone at the top making all the money. And it's, you know, it's, it's nonprofit. It's not for profit. And I love that because all the books give back. And that's something I feel very proud of to be associated with. So, um, it is, it is a little, it's difficult managing two publishers wanting titles and they come out like we had one in August and we were going to have one in September and then we'll have another one in October. And that's too many for, for a person, you know, how many books can a person write? And that's crazy. And so that's like not normal. So they battle that all the time, but you know, the kids are, hopefully they're evergreen topics and it, and they'll be around for a while to help people. And that's what, you know, but I, I love Boys Town and I love National Center for Youth. They're great. They're great to me and they're great organizations and somebody to be proud of it you guys writing for boys town that's something to be very proud of they're very picky so i and i've read your stuff and it's good i just put the two and two together just now I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh. oh yeah i mean they're wonderful they're really just such sweet wonderful people i feel like we've had such an awesome experience with them yeah and i feel like they're both really lucky to like have you as well and i think the point that you make is also why we feel really lucky to be a part of Boys Town. And I'm sure that um, the National Center for Youth Issues is the same, that they're both, like you said, nonprofit and they benefit at-risk families. That meant a lot to us too. It's just, and, and it's a niche, you know, we want to write for what we're, what, where we are. And so, but I, I um, the one piece of advice, if you have, if you're ever going to send anything to a, a publisher, you want to print off a copy of what you're going to send them, put it in an envelope, seal it shut with like tape and write across the tape on the back sealed, then mail it to your house first. And then when it's delivered to your house, then mail a copy to the publisher. Because if the publisher takes your idea and gives it to somebody else, that gives you proof that you came up with it before they got a hold of it. That's called poor man's copyright. Wow. And you know, and no one, no one would help me when I did this. Like when I was trying to go down this path, I didn't get any help from anyone. And so I kind of swore to myself that if ever I made it in the writing world, I would offer how I did it or whatever to anybody because it is not a competition. It's a corporation and we cannot have too many great books for kids. I, there is not a competition. So and that's kind of where I'm at. So I'm kind of an open book on that. One. If anyone ever asks me how I did it or what I do, uh, I'll tell them. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really helpful. We, I mean, that's a great idea, the poor man's copyright. Yeah. I don't think we even thought about that. But we did have a question for you, which was, um, which kind of goes along with this. Do you have advice for aspiring writers or those just beginning the publishing process besides what you just mentioned? Um, yeah, I do. If, you know, people think, well, I go, if I do self-publishing, then I can get a lot farther, um, because I can make more money off of whatever. Um, and you might be the best author on the planet. And if you self-publish, you're put in a category with maybe someone who isn't quite very good. And it's, you know, like a, a brick and mortar store of Barnes and Noble will never carry your stuff because, it's print on demand, which means if they put it in there, they can't return it if it doesn't sell. So if you have an opportunity to push yourself to get a commercial publisher, uh, that's 
the way to go. I mean, you don't want to be the sole publisher and having to house books to Amazon. And now if they print your stuff and if they publish your stuff, you know, that works for, for, for people. And it's been very successful for some people, but not a, not a ton. Um, you know, sometimes a person will self-publish on Amazon and it'll do really well. And then another publisher will come in and swoop it up or whatever, Amazon, you know. But you, the problem is with self-publishing is that everybody thinks that they can write and everybody thinks that they, not many people think that everything they need to write is worth reading for other people. And it may be really worth time, your time to read it, but not everybody else's time. And so they don't do it. They don't, they, you know, it, you get lumped into, if you're good enough, someone will want to pay you. You won't have to pay to do it. That's what I'm saying. That's a really good so point. So find that. Find find the people who will pay you. And if they won't, if you can't, then look at your stuff and see if you can make it better so that they will. Yeah. And um, those are really great points. I think also, too, we made the mistake in the beginning. Like, we just sent, submitted to one publisher and we waited six months and then got, of course, a rejection letter. And then we're like, okay, now let's just finally submit to, like, everybody else that's on our list. So. I think that like we try to tell people to like just submit to like everyone that you're interested in because that's a really long process that you could be waiting. What do you feel about how do you feel about that? Right, I do. I mean, it, you know, you don't know who's looking or what position they're in as a publishing company and you know, you don't want to you just don't want to I mean, you have a great idea, you want to get it out there so shop it, you know, and and get it out there and see what kind of offers you get and some people have found that they can't do very much without an agent and there's literary co- conferences all over the country. Find a good literary conference and find a good agent and have them shop it. And you think, well, gosh, then I have to pay them part of the money. Well, not if you don't sell anything, they make money if you make money, but they're not going to push your book if it's not going to sell because it won't do any good for, and it'll get you out there. You don't have to use an agent for every book, but if you're trying to get lunch, then that's a really good idea because some publishing companies don't accept anything without an agent. So, but there's some that do as well. Um, I know a Boys Town and National Center, gosh, they probably get, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred entries a month, you know. So, and that's what they're, they're the medium sized publishers. So, Wow. You know, so that yeah. makes me feel even better. <laughs> right. Sense. Well, and you don't, you don't, you don't, you know, ask National Geographic to publish My Mouth is a Volcano because that's not, you know, you find a publisher who publishes books like you write and books like you read, you know, who publishes the books that you like and, and why. And then you go with those publishers. But no publisher is so big that they won't entertain talent if they see talent. And if your book is good enough and you can figure out a way to get it in the right hands, it will get published. So, you know, it, it, and you get to do this. You don't have to do this. I mean, this is a get to job. Yeah. I always tell kids grow up and get their degree and, you know, have a, have a means to pay your bills so that you get to write, not that so that you don't have to write and, you know, let it take you where it does. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm reading the book Big Magic right now by Elizabeth Gilbert. And it's all about like your creativity and your, you know, not making your creative, what you love to do, what pays the bills, because then you might just resent it. So. Right. Well, and you wouldn't have, you know, you wouldn't want to have to draw, have to write. I mean, like my, okay, the publishers I work for, they want to, they'll give you a book contract and they'll try to give me a contract on a book before you know and i i 
I can kind of call the shots a little bit on certain things. And if and what, if they send me a contract with a date on it, then I rip it up and I say, you write the contract after I write the story. Oh, wow. <laughs> because I will not write to a date. I won't write to a date because it just kills me. I mean, I can yeah. say, uh, when do you kind of need this story? And they'll say, we kind of need it by March or sooner. You know, then my brain will work. But if I have to write a book by March 27th, I'm toast. I just, I can't function that way. And so I've kind of, I guess I've earned my stripes and they kind of let me do that. But mm-hmm. they, I did the mistake once where they sent me a contract and I just reversed it and said, don't do this. And they're like, oops, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. So switching gears to chat a little bit about your experience as a parenting expert. This is what I'm super interested in. Uh, do you have any good advice, particularly in regards to tips to always stay patient and find a healthy work-life balance with your kiddos. And I know just to make you laugh a little bit, before I had kids, I, I feel like I had this whole list of things that I wasn't going to do when when I had kids and I can laugh a little bit about And then them. your mother came out and you didn't she <laughs> Exactly you know I feel like as a as a younger teacher in SLP I wound up saying gee like I, I never understand how people raise their voice with their kids and like they're they're you know conditioning their children for yelling and like there's no reason to ever yell and you know now I have an almost four year old and I'm like okay so those people were not yelling the first 45 times they said it nicely <laughs> it's what happened after they totally, you know, lost their cool. And it doesn't happen often, but uh, when it does, I always feel well. Right, but you know what? It needs it needs it needs to happen once in a while because I mean, if it happened all the time, a kid would that would be their normal, and that would be very unhealthy. But kids need to see that. Kids need to see their parents lose it once in a while and then apologize because then they realize, oh my gosh, even parents make mistakes. So you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Kids don't come with instructions. Uh, when you do make a mistake, you kind of own it. But the biggest thing, the biggest problem parents have these days, I feel, and this is, okay, so mom of three adult children, grandmother of two and one on the way. Um, I've done a lot of parent talks, but a lot of research for the books. And so it kind of all, and then counseling and teaching. But if you allow your child to gain power, you're not going to be able to uh, take it away you're only going to be able to manage it. So parents will say, oh, do you need to go potty? You don't ask a child if they need to go potty. You say, okay, we're going potty now. Oh, would you like peas for dinner? No. Well, you just gave your kid power to tell you what they're fixing you. Hey, guess what? You get to eat peas for dinner. Yay, peas, you know. So you tell them what they get to do. You don't ask them what they want to do. And, you know, or if you're going to give them a choice, you say, all right, today we get to have peas or we get to have bananas. You get to pick. What do you want? You know, where they get the power that way. But you have to control the power you give them. Because if, you know, if you want to, um, there's a, if you want to Google the YouTube Mateo and he says, you know, listen, Linda, listen, Linda, that's what we're getting. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like the kids shoot at three, but when they're 13, they're going to be out of control. Right. So, Definitely. and then another, and then the other one I want, you know, there's, you, you cannot, if you, the bit, one of the mistakes I made is I have a kid, real high achiever kid. And then when he did struggle, he didn't have the tools to deal with it. And he really, really, really struggled. You have to let your kids fail and land in a soft place at home. So when they fail in the real world, 
they have the tools to climb out of the hole that they're in and fix it. Because we don't, you know, if we have kids, you know, gosh, my kid needed, couldn't hit a baseball. I got him a batting coach. He had problems in Spanish. I got him a tutor. And then he had to study for medical boards. And I write books on boogers and I couldn't help him. And he'd never struggled in his life. And he really went through a tough time. So we have to let our kids fail at home and then say, okay, how are we going to fix this? How are you going to get out of this hole? That's awesome. Because, um, and there's an amazing video called the Mama Polar Bear Saves Cub. And the cub falls in the water and she wants to grab the polar bear and rip him, put him back on the deck, you know, because that's what we want to do. We want our kids to struggle. We don't want them to be cold. We don't want them to be scared. Instead, she jumps in the water, puts her paws around her little cub and gives him a practice pool where he has to struggle all by himself. And she whispers to him and says, get out, get out. Aww. And he climbs out of the out of the, the water. He doesn't go too deep. But then if he falls in the next time and she's sleeping, he can he knows I have the tools to get out of this mess because I've done it before. Right. That is the strongest, best parenting lesson that because I totally blew it with my kids on that one. And it's like if I could redo it, that's the one I'd fix. That's great advice. And I think you're right. It's really hard to struggle with that. Recently, my son, I had just gotten him this brand new dinosaur that had a button that roared. And I told him to be careful with it. And we were at a family party and he puts it next to the pool. And I, at first I moved it away once or twice. And I told him, Hey, I think your little cousin is going to throw that in the pool and it won't work after because of the electricity. And sure enough, it gets tossed in the pool. And he was so sad because he had only gotten it that day. And I really toyed with like, should I get him a new one? And then I told myself like, okay, no, I definitely can't do that because he'll never learn to take care of his toys. It'll always just think he'll get a replacement. And the funny thing is just like a couple of days ago in the back of the car, the dinosaur's mouth still moves, but it doesn't roar. And I heard him in the back and he was saying like, it's okay. You don't have to roar. You have sharp teeth and nice <laughs> claws and you could still be scary. And it was like, now we call it like my husband and I call it like the self-help dinosaur. <laughs> Because, oh yay! That's a great lesson. Like the dinosaur, I hear his like positive affirmations all the time. It's so ridiculous, but, right. but I'm glad I didn't. Hear and you know, we want so bad for our kids to be happy and healthy and safe and have all. You know, I mean, I, I gave my kids everything. I mean, they had everything they needed to grow and grow and grow. You know, I'm thinking you you can be kind of too good of a parent in some ways too. Oh, I don't want to take my child to a funeral because I don't want to experience discom- you know discomfort from a death. Well, then you turn it into a learning experience, and you say, you know, everybody dies, everything dies, and it's very sad. So we have to figure out a way to get together, get get through this together. You know, you cannot you cannot shelter your kid. You can't put them in bubble wrap, and, and it, it's not all roses. You know. There's so many learning opportunities that are are not comfortable. As a matter of fact, I don't know of any learning opportunity a child ever goes through or an adult where it's comfortable. Learning is uncomfortable because you're carving pathways in your brain, and that's never fun. It's never fun. <laughs> so once you've learned it, it's fun. But Awesome. Wow. I love that. We're probably going to quote you on that if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Learning is uncomfortable. I love that's that. Great. Yeah. It all, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. My favorite one is um, in order to teach a child, you have to enter their, in order to teach children, you have to enter their view of the world. Yeah. That's great, too. Mm-hmm. I think I've read that one. You've said that before a couple times. Right. Right. And, and, and you know, the, the books think they give a, a concrete visual of what's going on. You know, disappointment is something that is uh, 
you know, the kids are literal linear thinkers and they can think formally, but concrete visualization just brings it down on their level. So the books are pretty concrete and they're pretty matter of fact and they're kind of recipe oriented. But, you know, my mouth is a volcano. What does a volcano do? It spews. Well, that's exactly how I feel. It just my words just flow out of my mouth. So yeah, that's like one of our faves. Yeah, I know it is. <laughs> From a speech standpoint, that's a great one. <laughs> I have so many kids who need that. Um, on a lighter side of things, we love your dogs. We're big dog people, <laughs> like, and we can't so get cute. enough of your puppies, Jake, Kirby, and Angus. They're so cute. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have a book called Smarter Than the Scoopers, and um, kids will go up to dogs if they're not with their parents. Um, you know, they see a cute dog and they say, oh, and they go up to pet the dog or whatever they, uh, you know, they think that's a cute little dog and I'm safe. And unfortunately, um, you know, child perpetrators can use dogs as luring tools. And so it's in that book um, kind of talks about that. Oh and I gosh. started using, yeah, I started using Jake. I, I was at a school and uh, I didn't want to let Jake out on the lawn when he was just a puppy because all the kids were out on the lawn. So I drove my car a couple houses down and a child ran off the playground and up to my car and said, can I pet your dog? Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, it scared me. And, and so then I pulled a kid up that later on that day and I said, you ran up to me. You didn't know me. You didn't know my dog. You didn't know my car. You weren't with a teacher. Was that smart? No. And I said to the guys, would you ever do that? No really and I opened up the bag and pulled him out and I went oh and I'm like see a scooper's not going to pick an ugly dog to trick you they are going to pick a cute dog to trick you so you need to be smart you can go oh and then you look around and think I'm not with a parent ah and I'm smart and that aha moment kind of blossomed into all of a sudden Jake started going with me then Angus we grabbed Angus and had him too and Jake trained him uh, National Center for Missing Exploited Children and Child Watch came in, certified the dogs as canine assist dogs in kidnap prevention, started getting emails pouring in right and left from parents saying, wow, this really made an impact on my child because it was an aha moment. And I was in Minnesota like six years ago and this lady says, I, I raised chihuahuas. I said, that's fine. She goes, I got a, a dog you love as a road dog. And I said, I already have two. And she goes, no, you need this dog. And I have six kids and I can't, this is the tiniest chihuahua I've ever had. So she brings out Kirby and I figured my husband wouldn't even notice if I brought her home. She's about four inches long. And um, so she is a two pound, eight ounce chihuahua and Jake trained her from the time she was just a pup. And so now she basically, those guys are 12 and 11. So they're kind of retired and she's pretty much my road dog and, and teaching kids and keeping me company along the way and a lot easier to haul around the airport than 10 pounds of dog. It's three pounds of dog. (laughs) That's awesome. That's a great story too. And, and, you know, dogs make people happy. I mean, even even cranky people in the airport see babies, they get crankier and they see a dog and they just go, Oh, you know, (laughs) I know whenever I'm in a bad mood, my husband takes a dog and puts it in front of my face. Isn't it weird? They're just are their aura. Cats and dogs, they just they just make you feel less mean. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> they do. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I have a, a big black lab myself, and uh, I feel like I used to be a tiny dog person. And then I got Rico, and now I'm a a big 
Uh, he runs with you too. So. Yeah, I think that's what it is. He's like my running mate. One time we even uh we run a lo- we won a local uh 5K. We came in third place together and he was on the news and they gave him his own little medal. It was really cute. <laughs> <laughs> How neat is that? Yeah, I don't know. It's just a magical thing. They like, mm-hmm. You know, and with kids, you know, I can I can talk all day, and they think, "Wow, that's so awesome!" And then the dog comes out, and it's like <laughs> the lady with the dog. You know? <laughs> so you'll have kids come up in the airport. You came to my school. Can I pet your dog? They wouldn't have ever recognized, you know. So kids don't forget that stuff, you know. Right. So it makes an imprint, and it and it's fun, and I don't have to go to Holiday and Express by myself. <laughs> that's, that's awesome all right so we have a little game and i the game we came up with is um we usually play this with our guests like a different sort of game to get to know you so this one that we came up with is called what is julia cooking and we have a couple different questions you're gonna pick a an ingredient out of a choice of two and then that ingredient corresponds with question cards we have and then that's where we'll delve into your life a little bit more so, first question, would you prefer to cook with butter or oil? Oh, man. Coconut oil, so oil. <laughs> okay. And if you were stranded on a desert island, what three items would you take with you? Oh, boy. Um, I'm hoping there's water there already. <laughs> <laughs> I would take my husband, for sure. Aww. Can he be an item or does it have to be a person? It, 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 Can it be a person? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> so my husband has 34 years, okay? Um, and a, a good pair of shoes. <laughs> and, sun, and sunscreen. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier, and I feel like I would have to put coffee on my list. Like, I could, just couldn't do it. You couldn't do it without coffee. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's smart to bring the husband because then you have twice the, you know, the help to get stuff around the island. So That's true. And I also feel bad. <laughs> he didn't even know. He didn't know what he signed up for. He has he works <laughs> full time, of course, and then comes home and does books for me when I'm gone. And it's a treasure. He, he's, he's the best wife I could ever ask for. I love him. <laughs> oh my gosh. Awesome. What's his name? Carter. Oh, Carter. Very nice. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So our next question is, do you prefer to use the grill or the oven? Oven. Okay, so the question for the oven is, what is your favorite dessert? Sticky rice and mango. Ooh, Ooh that's a good choice. Yum. I don't think I've ever had that. I'll have to try it. I've had that with, um, like, I went somewhere where they filled a pineapple with rice, and that was also really Ooh, good, too. That sounds really good. Mm. Okay, so do you prefer sweet dishes or savory dishes? Savory dishes. So tell us one valuable lesson you've learned from being a popular author. Although you've shared so many. So. I know you shared so many. Now I feel bad. <laughs> no matter how famous you are, no matter how much money you make, no matter how you know big you get, you need to always remember that you wouldn't be anybody without the people that you talk to, meet, hang out with. Um, stay humble. Stay humble and stay kind. That Like the song, humble and kind. Uh, stay, stay true to you know, the people you are and no matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter at all if you can't spend it on things that really make a positive difference in the world. So share your gifts and, and keep, you got to look at, no matter how, you know, you got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm proud of me. I'm proud of me. I did the right thing. And if you can't say you're proud of you and, and, and treating other people, some people they get, um, 
famous or I've met a lot of famous people and there are some really, really nice famous people and they almost have to come off a little close because of the bombardment. But the really nice ones are there. You can tell, but there's some that use that, you know, and like they think they're better than other people or, and, and don't ever, don't ever forget where you come from. And you put on your pants just like everybody else and you have to look yourself mm-hmm. in the mirror and you have stinky breath in the morning. And, yeah. <laughs> so I love that. I love that. Um, last question. So do you prefer cooking with rice or pastas? Rice. Rice. Okay. So what, what's on your bucket list that you still need to check off? Um, there's this show that's called, I mean, my, my, my ultimate bucket list when I would know if I, as an author, if I've made a difference in enough kids' lives, there's a show on CBS Sunday morning and they, Charles Corral used to be the host. And they pick stories that people, just normal people evolve into doing things that are not so normal or not so average. And so to me, that's like my bucket list. (laughs) Or, you know, to be able to, you know, figure out a way where every time somebody gets a book, another book goes to a different child, you know, you give, give a book away. It's, it's, that's my bucket list is to be able to do things like that. I love that. Awesome. I love that so much. Well, when we see you on the CBS Sunday morning show in a couple years, <laughs> we'll be like, hey. <laughs> or maybe sooner than that. But <laughs> yeah. Julia, this has been so fun. Thank you. I will say if they want to get books to JuliaCookOnline.com, everything that you order off my website, I autograph for for you personally and personalized. Okay. Oh, awesome. You. We'll add that in the show notes too. Yeah. That's Julia Cook Online. And then can you tell them your social media handles as well? At Julia Cook Online. That's on Instagram and Twitter, right? Yep. And Facebook. And Facebook. Okay, great. Awesome. Well, thank you again. It was great speaking with you. And uh, we look forward to talking with you sometime soon. Thank you. Thanks for making such a positive difference with kids. You guys are awesome. You too. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Can you guys believe we were able to get Julia Cook on the podcast? We are still in shock. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving an awesome review. This will help us to get other amazing guests on the show. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and until next time.